0: Don't you wish you could sing like Zach, you know, with every breath that I am able, I will sing of the goodness of God. Man, I I don't ever get tired of hearing that theme. I I just don't. Bless you all for being here today. Our streaming family, we welcome you. Wherever you may be, it's just good to see more and more folks here in San Antonio showing up on Sunday mornings, and that's a blessing. That is a blessing. That is a blessing. The chain breaker is still in the house. The chain breaker is still in the house. And this morning, we turn another page to another chain that can befall us. And it's this one the chain of false responsibility. The power of Jesus to break the chain of false responsibility. What is that? What is the chain of false responsibility? It is being convinced. That you are in some way responsible for the choices and behaviors of someone else. Let me say it again. The chain of false responsibility is being convinced that you are in some way responsible for the choices and behaviors. Of someone else. In Ezekiel chapter 18, you don't need to turn there, let me just reference it, but it would maybe do you some good to read down through that passage. The prophet Ezekiel speaking for the Lord says, The soul that sins, it shall surely die. He quotes a proverb. And then the Lord is saying Israel won't ever be quoting this proverb again, that the children's teeth are set on edge because the fathers have eaten sour grapes. Meaning, what the fathers do, the children are guilty of. That there's a passing down of the guilt of sin. But the Lord comes in and says... No longer is Israel to say that because it is the soul that sins, it shall surely die. He goes on to say, the soul that lives in righteousness, the soul that does what's right in the sight of God will be blessed with the favor of the Lord. Regardless of what the preceding generation has done, it's the person, it's the individual. It's not guilt passed down but it's where I individually stand before the Lord. That's important because we need to, as parents with grown children, do I have a witness, as as spouses married to spouses, as friends of old friends, we need to understand that the individual not the parent of the individual or the child of the individual, but the individual is going to answer under the Lord for the good or for the ill. The, the, The chain of false responsibility means somehow, though, that we've missed that. We have come to be convinced that I am responsible for my spouse's choices and behavior, or my grown children's choices and behavior, when really the truth is we are not responsible unto the Lord for any behavior other than our own, our individual, our own behavior. Now, when we're raising little ones and they're still under our roof, we have the instruction from scripture to raise them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, to impart to them the truths that are consistent with scripture and the heart of the Lord. But there comes a point in time when they leave or they should <laughs> and they go out and multiply and then they say they multiply and then they come back sometimes. And that's, that's part of the family process. That's a good thing. But the challenge can be mamas want to always be mamas, and 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 daddies can sometimes fall into the trap of always feeling like that there needs to be the imposing of some kind of authority or final word on the rest, and it can become a chain of false responsibility. So what what can what can the chain of false responsibility do to you it can it can be a joy robbing emotionally exhausting and powerfully binding chain of soul that can suck out of your life, power, and strength. Because what happens is, when we do that, when we are convinced that I am in part responsible for how somebody other than me turns out, I end up taking on my shoulders a weight, a responsibility, That nobody but God Almighty can carry. I come in under a burden that I was never intended to carry. That doesn't mean that we don't love our grown children. It doesn't mean that we don't love and care for our spouse, the ones closest to us that we are burdened for, that we just see some things that don't seem to be right that we could wish could be better. But we can't let go of it. We keep putting into it. We keep fiddling with it. We keep getting our hands in it. It's hard for us to have any conversation with them without the issue being a part of the atmosphere. And as a result of that, we can find ourselves being emotionally exhausted. We can find ourselves at a place of of weakness instead of strength. it it can do those things to you, and and, and it has the power to just suck right out of your heart the joy in your relationship with Jesus. And we'll talk more about that, about why that's so important that we realize that, that any kind of a sense of false responsibility towards someone else, where I'm taking on something that was meant only for God... That can be a debilitating posture for a, a Christian to live in. So, so here is, here, here, here is the, the place where the roots uh, begin to flourish with, within us. And this is why it can be so important. It, it, it's that somewhere along the line, we've started believing a lie about God we've started believing a lie about god here's part of it that i can't trust him to fix this so i've got to do it and then we would never wear a t-shirt with a i don't trust god necklace on but the bottom line is the reason many times we get so big and our mouths are always flapping and our energy our emotions are always churned up is because we have lost that sense of trusting God, relying upon Him, leaning upon Him for the fixing of the situation that only He can fix. We're believing the lie. We're believing a lie that I can't trust Him. Another part of it is where it can be believing the lie, that the Father, the loving Father, would put on me a responsibility that I don't have the ability to fulfill giving me an assignment to fix a spouse or fix a grown child or fix whoever when he knows I don't have the ability to do it. But if I believe that it's my responsibility, whichever direction it comes from, I'm not trusting him to do it, so I step into it. Or he's given it to me even though it's bigger than me. Either way, folks, I have chosen to give ground in my heart to the lies of the enemy against the Father. That's why it can become such an all-consuming situation in a life. And and here here are the things that that you're left with. When, when When you buy into this place of false responsibility, it can leave you living with disappointment. Living with disappointment, disappointment in people, disappointment in God, disappointment that no matter what what no matter what they do, it's never going to be enough. Or the presupposition is they may they may try do a little better for a while, but failure is certain. Let me say that again. If you, if, if you have that chain of false responsibility operating inside you, then also a corollary to that is you live with disappointment. Why? Because you're trusting in yourself to fix it instead of the Lord who has no limits. And we keep getting reminded of just how able, unable we are to fix anything. So we begin to look with eyes of disappointment at people who the last thing on the face of the earth they may need is just another round of disappointment or being around other folks that just feel like they're a loser. They can't do it. I need to insert this. Over the years, pastoring, I've I've lost track of of all the men in churches where we've been who would find their way into my office or, or, or wanting to talk with me. And they say, Pastor, I'm just just so discouraged. I mean, I I, I feel like I love the Lord. I feel like I'm going to heaven. I I really do try to read my Bible. You know, I'm I'm not a praise dancer, but I love to worship the Lord. But from my wife, I just keep getting this, that I'm not doing it right. That, that I'm not doing it right, that, that I'm not having my quiet time right, or I'm not, I'm not reading the books that I need to read, and I don't have the, all the kind of fellowship that I need to have with men. To which, if I, And I've gone back to some of the wives and said, Would you please shut your mouth? Do you realize that you're doing more harm than you are good? Because the boy is trying to read the Bible. The boy is sitting next to you in church. The boy does want to love the Lord. Amazing grace gets to go, and he's liable to have a tear in his eye. But he's not going to worship just like you do, ma'am. <laughs> he's not going to do everything just so get off his case. Uh, You know, if shoe fits Wear that, anybody listening to me this morning, I I, I didn't, nobody in particular have in mind, but I've just seen it so many times that, that when a husband wakes up every morning and his wife looks at him with eyes of disappointment, then what incentive is there for him to keep on going? Uh, And I'm I'm, okay. I'm going to get off of that, but I'm just, just trying to say this, this chain of false response. I got to turn my husband into a man of God. If it kills me and him and him. I'm going to get us. I'm going to get us going in the right direction. Number, it's it. That's that is a chain of false responsibility, and it can rip Christian marriages wide open. You don't always want to be around somebody when they see you come and go. You 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 want to be around folks that even though you know that you've swung. At two strikes, you've missed both of them, but you still got one more strike, and you're liable to knock it out of the park on the third swing. Somebody who'll look you in the eye and say, I'm praying for you. I'm praying with you. And I'm believing with the power of God doing a work in our lives, we can become something we've never been before. And I'm believing that. But if you've got this chain of false responsibility, and I said that made that in the direction of the ladies, I could put that in the direction of the men as well. That you read, you know, if you read some book about a godly home or something, or about, about the husbands and wives, and you're kind of looking down at her like she had never done that. She had never <laughs> measured up. Well, what good is that going to do, sir? If all she hears is a sense of disappointment. But if you feel like it's your job, it's your job to produce something in somebody else. that is That can turn into a debilitating chain of false responsibility. You know whose power it is to renew our minds, to change our minds, to give us a new way of thinking and looking? It's the Holy Spirit of the resurrected Jesus and nobody else. He doesn't defer. He doesn't set aside his Ability to do those things and give it to anybody else. So I'm just telling you. We may not think I've got this kind of thing controlling me, this false responsibility controlling me. But let me say, you know, again, again, do you live in a state of almost perpetual disappointment? That whoever the person out here hasn't changed yet, and for some reason God in heaven hadn't done anything... So then it's all up to me to do it, and then you're left with the frustration, I don't know, sick from come here. I don't know, hot from cold, when it comes to being able to change somebody else's life. i got enough problem going on inside here. i got enough logs hanging out of my eyes to be spending all my time trying to pick the specks out of somebody else. Jesus, as you know, warned against that. All right, so it can leave you in a place of living with disappointment. Here's what else it'll do: it leaves you prone to anger. Prone to anger. That there's no change. It, 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 it isn't happening. I, I'm trying to do it. I can't do any good. And so you end up being just a mad little person. A mad, sometimes a mad big person. Let me tell you what that happened pastoring this church, preaching behind this pulpit, Sunday after Sunday, about 15 years ago or so, I don't even know the date, I don't remember the specific. but it was a period of time where I found myself struggling with real anger as I would get up and look at your faces. <laughs> I mean, it's not that everybody is, is, is ugly as dirt, it, it's not that, or, or, or mean as a, as a snake, it wasn't that, but it was just, here's where it came from. I felt the responsibility, I felt that the Lord had put upon me the responsibility as a pastor to make sure all of you folks turned out right. And everybody, every marriage that was struggling, it was up to me to help get that fixed. When, the, when, you, when you knuckleheaded kids were given birth, you know, they came into this world by knuckleheaded parents, but then it was the pastor's responsibility to straighten that out. And it wouldn't get straightened out. And I would find myself living with a sense of frustration that I can't do this. Feeling that it was God who had given me the responsibility to straighten everybody else out. And I, I asked Shirley, I, I, said, I said, I need you to pray for me. I need you to help me in my preaching because I feel like I'm mad. And she said, well, you are mad. I feel like some is I've been beaten up. How's that from from the pastor's wife? Been beaten up. I said, well, pray for him. And I asked another two or three ladies to just, prayer partners, just pray. One of those ladies came to me at one point. She said, I don't know what this is, but, but pastor, I'm just giving it to you. She said it was, and it was a reference out of Isaiah, where the people had believed a lie about the Lord. That their sin was they had, they had accepted, they had, they had welcomed into, into their hearts some kind of lie about the Lord. That was, the, that was all it was in the verse. So I took that back to the Lord. Lord, what, what lie is it that I'm believing about you? I, I love your word. I, I feel like I believe your word. I wonder what, what is the lie? And it seemed as if he made clear to my heart, you have believed the lie about me that I would make you responsible for the outcome of the people who are part of the Alamo City family. That it was on you to straighten out the marriages and on you to fix kids and on you to do these things. And I'm telling you folks, listen, when the Lord opened the light to my heart and showed me that, that I was not responsible for everybody in the church turning out great Something happened inside of me. There was a release that came. Instead of wanting to be with people because I was just going to hear one more bevy of problems that I was going to try to figure out, and I knew I couldn't do it, and they couldn't either. Instead of that, it was the realization, wait a minute. Lord, you have this. God, you've got this congregation. You have these families. It's not on me to have to bear that burden. And I'm telling you, it was was like a light turned on in just a matter of seconds. Something shifted. Something changed. Something broke off of me that I didn't have to preach angry. I didn't have to come down mad. I didn't have to stay on things with a heavy sense because what I was mad about is that I thought you folks were getting me in trouble with God. Because you weren't behaving and you weren't straightened up, and the Lord was seeing that, He's mad at me, huh? Is that crazy or what? But I'm telling you, it was it was deeply. I you know I know the Word. I can I, I try to pray. I try to but it had worked its way in there, believing the lie of false responsibility. God is God, and you and I never will be all He is. So when we, when we get to thinking somehow that, oh, these, these children, they've come up through our, through our home and they've, they've been taught these various things that we feel like are right and, 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 and now they're out on their own and, and they have these different views and they have these different conclusions. And aren't there 6,500 things that families in our day and time could be divided over over Thanksgiving meal if we wanted to? If we have the idea, I got to straighten out everybody's thought. I got to drive, I got, I, they got to quit thinking that. They got to do this way. They got to do that way. Stay in your lane, Daddy. Stay in your lane, Mama. And realize, realize that He is the one who will bear the responsibility of fixing people in His way and His time. Now, I'm going to tell you. husbands and wives, you may need to have a little discussion. Maybe where he would say or she would say, I feel like you're trying to fix me. And there may be some things that may need to be fixed, but just because you tell me I need to fix it doesn't make me want to fix it one New York second more. It needs to be this way. The Lord to my heart, I love you, I care about you. We're praying together over these things and, you know, and we could unload in our direction Well, all that needs to be fixed. Well, if we would just shut up long enough and let them cock and reload and come back at us, no telling what we might hear, that in a sense we would need to hear. But instead of it being a judgmental thing, It's the sense of brokenness before each other, humility before each other, and going before the Lord. Lord, will you fix us? Will you have mercy on this home, this marriage, this family? Okay. So I'm I'm speaking to you this morning from a place of a personal testimony. I know what it is to be eaten up with anger because of a chain of false responsibility. The other thing that it will also do to you is this. It will cause you to, as you're so consumed with with this this thing that isn't working out, but that you feel responsible for, it can be so consuming that happiness lasts only as long as you're distracted from thinking about it. Happiness lasts only as long as you're distracted from thinking about it. In some rare moment of time where this doesn't come up, you may be able to smile, or it may be a sense of happiness, but it turns, it shifts, and you're back at that dark, sad, lonely, impossible place again. Folks, the Lord never intended for a mother, a father, a husband, a wife, a friend. To live in that place. No matter what is going on in the relationships or in the lives of the ones you care about. If I'm consumed with it, here's what it means. It means I am not trusting him. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and what church? Lean not on your own understanding. But in all your ways, acknowledge him, and he'll make your path straight. Trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Not 95%, but then there's 5% I'm working on. I'm fixing because I can't trust him there. Repent of the sin of believing a lie about your father's heart. And light can begin to shine in on that dark, sad, controlling place in your heart. Lord, I ask you to forgive me. I confess it as sin, sin. I call it sin, missing the mark. But I am not, I don't, I've not felt like I could trust you to take care of this. So I'm doing it. I'm doing it. And you can't shut up. And you can't stop the words that come out. And they, it can end up many times doing more harm than good. The flesh profits nothing, but the Spirit gives life. We, we think, If I just say it, if I just say it, if I just say it. But Jesus said, if you're speaking words or make, doing actions from the place of your flesh, it profits nothing. It gets nowhere. Even quoting Scripture or whatever it would be. The flesh profits nothing, but it is the Spirit that gives life, where it is the flow of the spirit through a heart, the flow of the love of God and the truth of God and the mercy of God and the hope of God flowing through a life, then there can be great benefit. But if it's just another set of Pharisaical rules, see, this is what, this is the lie that the enemy got the Pharisees to believe. We are responsible for the behavior of all of the people in Israel. Israel. We're the spiritual ones. We're the spiritual leaders. We've got God in this box. We understand how it all works. And we have the responsibility to make sure that they choose right and they behave right. To which Jesus said back to him, you don't even keep your own rules. So why are you trying to impose rules on these people who are trying and they're listening and they're wanting to be better, but you're condemning them? You're you're putting a shroud over their lives. It says that the common people heard Jesus gladly. It's because he, he, he knows where we are, folks, and he knows that we have a million different places where we need his light to clean and clear and possess. But he doesn't turn us away, and he doesn't run us off, and he doesn't continually have us to live with this high jump bar that we can't ever get over. Yeah, but sometimes in relationships with people, you walk into the relationship and they've got a bar up, and, and if you don't if you don't get over it, then they say, "Well, that's what I thought." That's not the heart of God. That is a chain of false responsibility. Here's your bar. Here's your bar. Here's your bar. Jump it. Jump it. No. Okay. So so those things those things the the chain of false responsibility can do for it. It causes you to live with disappointment. cause causes you to be prone to anger. And it can cause you to be so consumed by it that happiness lasts only as long as you're distracted. I'm going to give you three declarations that if you're ready to be free of the chain of false responsibility... I want to ask you to write these down somewhere and I'll mention them two or three times before we finish. Here's the first one It's not my fight. Number two, it's not my fault. And number three, it's not mine to finish. It's not mine to finish. It's not my fight. It's not my fault. And it's not mine to finish. I want you to go in your copy of the scripture to the gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15. It's just one of my favorite chapters in all the Bible. Always seemed up, just kind of ending up somehow sooner or later back in Luke 15. It's where Jesus had a, had a divided house that he was speaking to. The scribes and Pharisees, the religious police. The ones that were looking at everybody else's behavior, but not examining their own hearts and saying they're all failures. And especially the tax gatherers and sinners who were also in the room, grouped together in the room. Luke, Luke will say, if there were so many of them, it looked like all of them were there. As I said to you before, you pick out the lifestyle that is the most despicable to you. You pick out the profession that is the most despicable to you. And you take that name or those names, and everywhere you see tax gatherer and sinner in the New Testament, you put those names in here. And then what you do is examine closely how Jesus responded to the tax gatherers and sinners. As we all are well aware, he he had more harsh things to say to the religious, squeaky clean religious police than he did to the ones who were open about what they were doing. People knew they were tax gatherers and they knew that they were irreligious Jews, but somehow they were drawn to Jesus. They were drawn to the hope and the mercy and the power and the life that they saw in him. And he didn't tell them to get cleaned up before they came to him. He didn't tell them to quit your profession, do well before they came to him. He knew that somehow if he was where he was able to win their hearts, then it would be only a matter of time before their whole lives would be transformed. And so he became friends with them. He would spend whole evenings at night in their houses, and he would have his disciples there with them. They were were what they were. Jesus knew they were what they were but what they were was not enough to keep him away from pursuing them. I came to seek and to save that which was lost. And he was relentless about that. And it's awesome. You get some judgment about this and that and the other thing rising up, or well, these people and that people and that particular thing rising up in your heart. Don't, don't be reading some commentator somewhere. Or, or, or say, listen to something. On t- you get, find your way to the Gospels, and you go to every place Jesus encountered the tax gatherers and the, and the and the and the sinners, and see how he reacted. So he has them all in the room, or in this house, and this is the setting where he tells three stories. He made these stories up for a specific purpose. He didn't read it somewhere and then report it or hear it somewhere. He told, he made these stories up so that the heart of the Father, the heart of God could be seen. The first one is about the lost sheep. Left the 99, go find the one. The lost coin. Ten coins. Nine were safe. A lady had lost the one. And then there's this lost son. This lost boy. Now folks, this is the story told from the perspective of the one who knows about and knows the heart of the one who has responsibility. We can take on false responsibility, but this is told from the perspective of one who has all responsibility for the fixing of broken lives. So l- listen to what this, how, how this reads. Verse 11. And Jesus said a certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father... Father, give me the share of the estate that falls to me. And he divided his wealth between them. Now, what was that first of three lines that I gave you? It's not my fight. It's not my fight. The father in this story knew that the bigger issue was what was going on in the heart of that boy with regard to what the father stood for. But what the father stood for was what he had believed, was believing that the heavenly father was wanting him to stand for. So vital to all of this, in this place of staying free from the chain of false responsibility, is to realize that the one you're troubled about is not really at issue with you. It's not your fight. Their fight is this way. Their fight is this way. Now that may take some work for the Spirit to open your eyes and show you that. But it's bigger than the last name. It's bigger than the birth order. It's bigger than any of those things it comes down to when there is a desire in the heart of a person to go away from God. All those who represent God in that person's life can be the victim of, of evaporation, where, the, where that one just wants to leave. And that's what happened here. But I'm telling you, when it drops 18 inches down your heart and you realize this isn't my fight, then you're not going to be trying to throw chains on the one who's wanting to run. You could get them physically to stay in the house and the father knew that. He could have chained this boy to to his bedroom door. But if there was a rebel heart, if there was a heart to run away, he needed to let the boy run because the fight was not at this against him. The fight was this way. The fight was this way. The Lord can show you that and the Lord can bring a measure of peace in your heart. This isn't my fight. This isn't my fight. This isn't my fight. Can I say that again? This isn't my fight. If you refuse to accept that, you'll stay chained to the place of false responsibility, thinking that it is your chore. To make that boy behave or whoever behave. Well, you, you, you continue on in verse 13. Not many days later, the younger son gathered everything together and went on a journey into a distant country. And there he squandered. These are the words of Jesus, telling the story about this make-believe boy. Squandered his estate with loose living. Now when he had spent everything, Jesus continues. A severe famine occurred in that country, and he began to be in need. And he went and attached himself to one of the citizens of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he was longing to fill his stomach with the pods that the swine were eating, and no one was giving anything to him. May I suggest to you that there can come a point in time in someone's journey away from God that the tangible expressions of the mercy of God are suspended? This is is the father. Jesus is telling the story. Here's the father, heavenly father, looking down on this situation. He lets the boy go, filthy rich, had his inheritance in hand, he watched as the boy squandered everything. He watched as there was a famine in the land. He watched as he hired himself out to help feed hogs. And he got so hungry, physically hungry. And the Father in heaven let him be hungry. You see, folks, if, 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 we're, if we're chained to this false responsibility with, oh, no, we can't let him go hungry. We we, got to get something to him. Nowhere is there an account in here that this imaginary wealthy father mustered a SWAT team to track the boy down and seal team six him out of wherever he was and bring him back to the house. He let him go. He didn't chase him. He let him go. He let him go. He let him, somebody's needing to hear that because you're in a crisis right here. We, we can't let it happen. We can't let it happen. We can't let it happen. Let it happen. It may be the only way that that one who is, 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 is so determined to walk out on everything that's been in the past may be the only way that God knows will ultimately be used to bring them back. Let them go. It says that no one no one offered him anything. Now, this is the God in heaven who, who can make everything out of nothing. He already did that. But he watches this boy by degrees go down. But, folks, it wasn't until he didn't have anything to eat that he said, the men that work for my daddy at least have food on their plate. I'm going to get up and go back to my daddy and I'm going to say, Father, I've sinned against you and I've sinned against heaven. He didn't say, I'm going to come back and ask for more money. Ask for more supplies to continue my lifestyle. Nowhere in the story is Jesus speaking of compassion that would that would Continue a lifestyle of rebellion. But folks, if we've got a chain, if we've got false responsibility working in us, that false responsibility can be the one that tracks them down and keeps sending them money and keeps doing the things that keep the lifestyle going. And we say, How can it be nice? How can how could that be the right thing for a parent to do? Well, I, this is our standard. Uh, there can be certainly expressions of kindness and expressions of compassion yes. But, but where we, where we get to feeling like that it's our responsibility to save them, our responsibility to change them, our responsibility to do, because they count on, can't count on God to do it, then we can find ourselves not helping the situation at all. I've seen it over the years. It can just perpetuate an already bad situation. So what is the place? Lord, I ask you to forgive me for the sin of doubting your heart. You are God and I am not. And I hand this one I love over to you. I release them, him, her unto you. And I'm going to trust you to do what you know in your heart it's going to take to bring them back to you. It's not about them staying home. It's not about them not embarrassing the family name. It's about Jesus seeking to save that which was lost and bringing them home unto himself. Okay. It's not your fight. Get that down. It's not your fight. If you don't accept that, you'll stay chained. The second one is, it's not your fault. It was not the father's fault that the son was penniless and didn't have anything to eat. That was the son's fault. That was the son's fault. He did it to himself. And daddy wasn't there to soften the blows. Daddy never left home. Daddy stayed with a broken heart. Daddy stayed praying. Daddy stayed evidently watching that road. The boy left out to see when he's coming back. And when he saw him, he took off running. You ever seen an old man run? (laughs) But he ran and fell on his neck. and kissed him and embraced him when he came back. But it wasn't his fault. It wasn't his fault. You got to handle that. You got to let that in. It's not my fault that ones I care about have made the choices that they have made. I am not guilty. Remember that, Ezekiel 18. I'm not guilty before God because of what they have done. Sooner or later, folks need to grow up and need to realize you're going to reap what you sow. God is not mocked. Whatever a man or woman sows, that's what you reap. Now, I say that, and I'm I'm hollering it, and and I'm I'm trying to be purposefully intense about it. But it's when someone is full on going away from God, but then they reach the end of themselves. It says here, he came to his senses. It, It wasn't the father's fault that he was out there, and he was penniless. And he was starving. But when he came to his senses, he said, I'm going to go home and I'm going to tell my daddy and I'm going to say it before God. I, I have sinned. You didn't do it. I did it to me. I have sinned against you, Father, and against heaven. And I'm not coming back asking for another dime. All I'm asking is you just let me work for you and just let me have a wage so I can eat. It's not your fight. It's not your fault. Stay out of it. If it when it reaches a point where, where there, is, there wants to be some sense of physical separation, don't try to stop that if it's the intent of the one running. Many times that's not the case. The one that we're not able to connect with, the one that we're burdened with, they may live close. We may, we may see them. We may be around them. But folks, coming into these holidays, you just want to don't 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 throw a hand grenade in the middle of Thanksgiving dinner. Don't, don't, don't blow up Christmas. Because I gotta fix them. I gotta fix them. I gotta straighten them out. I gotta fix them. I gotta fix them. I'm going to pull them off to the side. I may not do it around the table, but I'm going to get them off straight. How's that worked for you before? Keep doing the same thing again and again, expecting different results. As the old saying is, it's insanity. What if you're doing that because you don't trust God to do it? What if you're doing that because, as David would say, you wait on the Lord? You, you wait on the Lord to do what only the Lord can do. You can't do for God what only he can do. So therefore, you wait. You wait for the Lord. You wait for the Lord. I don't know if I can wait. I don't know if I can wait. I don't know if I can wait. Well, then you just, you just keep on messing things up and pushing people even farther away maybe. Because they've got to fix them. And because whenever they get in your presence, they know they don't measure up. Or they know that you're mad. You're mad at them. How many on an even playing field would pick somebody that you know is mad at you to just be around for the half a day? Or to be around somebody that already has you figured out as a failure? Who would you, Some way or another, folks, listen, these were professional failures. The tax gatherers and the sinners. They were professional moral failures, yet they wanted to be around the most perfect man who ever walked the face of the earth that's who we're supposed to be let God be God let us express the heart of Jesus as best we can Now, the last one is this the first one it's not your fight then it's not your fault and then the last one is it's not yours to finish it's his to finish when you read down here, and it, when it says in Luke 15, that it says for this verse 24, for this son of man, son of mine, was dead, and he has come to life again, he was lost, and he has been found. They began to sing and make merry. Verse 32, but we had to give be merry and rejoice, for the brother of this brother of yours was dead and has begun to live and was lost and has been found. Who raised this boy to, to life again? Who raised him from the dead? There's only one somebody who can raise somebody back to life again, and it is Jesus. It wasn't that the daddy went out trying to find him. The Spirit of the Lord in this story somehow began to work in the boy's heart. He, 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 he saw what he had done, and he knew the way home, and he came back. It's not yours to finish. But folks, if you've got a chain around somebody or you're trying to put, and that chain is attached to your heart, you're going to do everything you can to try to end it the way you think it needs to be ended. Just bring them back, just get them in the house, just keep them at the same street address. That's that's how it's going to work. We'll just continue on with this marriage, just just doing the way we've been doing, even though there's there's no life, there's no freedom here. But I'm, I'm, I'm trying to make sure that everybody knows how miserable I am and how frustrated I am. No, the flesh profits nothing, but the Spirit gives life. I believe what the Lord's saying, and I'm telling you, I believe there are some folks that this day, by, by one o'clock this afternoon, some of you could walk out into the rest of your life with a sense of freedom, realizing God has not put on you the responsibility to fix and to keep fixed everybody you care about. All that has to be is just a switch turned on. The truth will set you free. The truth will set you free. They may still do what they do, go where they go. But now you're back at the place. I'm not trusting me anymore. I'm trusting him, and I'm going to wait until he does in those lives what only he can do. He's a chain breaker. But you think about the chains in other people. This is a chain in us. Chain two. I got to. I got to straighten them out. I got to speak into this. I got to make sure they don't do that. I got to make sure they read this. I got to. You see, if that's not coming from the Spirit of Jesus truly at work in a heart, it can do more harm than good. He's the healer. He's the healer. And He says, "Here's, here's the way I work it. You trust me and you wait on me. And you say to yourself, you declare it over this situation it's not my fight, it's not my fault. It's not mine to finish. I'm trusting you. Amen? Amen. Now, I know somebody out there is saying, you don't know my situation. You don't know my situation. You're excusing your chain. You pick that stuff up, and you will stay just as chained the rest of this day as you were when you got here because you don't understand my situation. Bottom line, are you living in a place of Disappointment. Does happiness evade you? Because the only time you're happy is when you're not having to think about that. And it's all about somebody being different. Somebody being different. The Lord knows what the needs are and he has the power to do what he chooses to do. But he does it in his way. He invites us to participate with him to pray. Lord, bring your kingdom to that heart. Set that captive free, Lord, wherever there's a captivity. But my eyes are trusting you. Paul would say, be anxious for nothing. Don't let yourself be stewing over anything. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, in everything, with prayer, with supplication, specific requests, let your requests, your askings be made known to God and the peace of God. The peace of God, the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Lord, we ask you to make this real to us. Lord, I ask you to set captives free in the name of Jesus, and I believe you are doing it. I believe there's a switch being turned on right now in many hearts across this country, wherever ones are hearing it and in this room realizing that, Lord, I have believed a lie about your character. I ask you to forgive me for believing that you would give to me a responsibility that I humanly cannot fulfill. It's your job, Lord. I confess the sin of believing a lie that you would be unfair or that you would be unfaithful. I ask you to forgive me, Lord, for for not waiting on you and just trying to rush everything. Lord, I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to Replace whatever darkness has been there with your light, that you'll fill me with your spirit in that place of me trying to control and trying to fix. Lord, in that place that has filled me in that way, I ask you now to fill me with freedom freedom to just rejoice, freedom to trust, freedom to be able to be happy that God's gonna, you're gonna work this out in your timing. In the name of Jesus, I renounce any and all agreement with Satan's lies that you are not faithful and that you would give me too big of a responsibility for me to be able to handle. And I receive the truth of your heart that you love me and you love the ones I'm concerned about and I will trust you as your spirit gives me strength. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, as the Lord did that work in my heart, which I'm grateful continues to this day, some of the same folks who when they would come at me with this latest chapter in the demolition of their lives or their families, instead of wanting to take my Bible and run because I didn't want to hear any more of it, there came to be that sense now that the Lord's in charge of it as he always has been and not me, I could listen to him and I could smile with them. And there'd be some places where I used to not be able to see progress and rejoice in things and movement in the right direction that now I began to see, that's good. You are still a piece of work, no doubt about it. But there's some good things going on. I hadn't been able to see it because I was overwhelmed with what all I had to fix. When that changes, light comes on, freedom, joy. The people that used to depress you, now there's a sense of, I, look, I want to look at them through the eyes of Jesus. And he gives that ability. Amen? Amen. 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 Let's stand together. Straining family, bless you for being a part of our time today. Thank you for praying for us and just linking up with us in the spirit. Thank you for your financial help as well that enables us to keep getting this out uh, wherever the Lord would take it. Pastor Walker at alamocity.org if there's a prayer request that we can pray with you about. We'd love to hear from you and get that. Now if you're here in this room and you want somebody to pray with you about what we've just talked about or something else that's going on in your life, I want to invite you to come forward and let our prayer partners in complete confidence pray with you. We can't fix you but we know the one who can. We can't heal broken hearts, but we know the one who can. We are not able, but we know the one who is. God bless you. God bless you. And I just want to say that if you've never opened your heart up to Jesus, it it, it isn't about hearing another sermon or being in particular. It's about opening your heart up to Jesus. He's the chain breaker. Jesus, come into my heart. Break the chains in my life. Invite him, invite him, and you'll be amazed the difference that he can make. Amen. Zach, okay, let's. You, which one are you going to do? Which one are you going to sing? Uh, goodness of God. All right. Well, we believe in that, in the goodness Amen. of God, don't we? Amen. Come this way if we can pray for you. God bless you. God bless you.